Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, Ephesians 6, verse 5 through 9. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, good morning. It's uh, great to see you all here this morning. My name is Dave. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and it's uh, uh, good to see you all here today. Um, If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, just a a heads up, I have a speech impediment, and it'll kind of come in and out as as I go. So just want to give you all a a heads up on that so you're not trying to figure it out. And um, so now go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. As Eric just read, that's where we find ourselves this morning. And um, we're kind of coming up toward the end of a series we've been doing since the very beginning of this year in Ephesians. We've been walking through um, and we're kind of coming up on the last few weeks in that. Um, So excited. These are some really action-packed, kind of some very... Um, solid. Well, it all has been, right? But like this, this really kind of ends with a, a bang, if you will, uh, kind of chapters five and six. So, um, uh, so yeah, we have a, a lot to look forward to in that. And if that's not over-promising and potentially under-delivering, I don't know what is. So, um, but uh, go ahead and turn with me there. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and um, we'll get one to you, okay? Yeah, we want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word to follow along with as we, uh, as we walk through it. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y uh, esta mañana estamos en Efesios capítulo 6, versículo uh, 5. So again, um, we're in uh, Ephesians 6. And keep your hand up. If you wanted a Bible and you didn't get one yet, it, you didn't miss your chance, all right? We will get them to you. Um, and, and, and if you don't own a Bible, please keep this, okay? It's our gift to you. We want to make sure, uh, again, everyone has one, all right? Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, um, we, you, you need a copy of God's Word to, to, to hear and respond to who He is and what He's done. Um, all right, so, so by all means, keep that. And um, let's go ahead and pray, all right, as we, uh, as we get into it. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, we confess that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And so we need you to speak clearly to us this morning, especially in the last few weeks. And again, no difference uh, this morning as we enter into subjects that are not easy and that have uh, historically not always been handled well, um, Lord, we need your spirit. Uh, we pray that the words of our mouth and the confession of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, picking up in chapter 6, verse 5, if you couldn't tell by my very eloquent Spanish when I said where we'll be this morning. Um, I really, you know, the stutter comes in handy a little bit. I just want to recognize with the R's, if you catch that, I really roll that thing out because I, uh, in, you know, sometimes in Spanish it doesn't because like people look at me and they're like, whoa, you don't know Spanish. And that's true. I don't know it super well, but with my R's, I really kind of ramp up and it really comes out. So um, anyway, let's get into it. Okay, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So um, who here has a different translation than the one we're using? So we can all shame you. and put, No, I'm just kidding. Because that's probably how. So yeah, keep it up. So a, a number of people. A number of translations kick off right there where it says, it says, um, it says slaves. And, and um, as I've read and understood, not to necessarily disagree with the, the ESV, the translation we typically use, um, it's not super helpful when we read bondservants. Because it, it doesn't get the, 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 um, the thrust of what the author here, Paul, is really saying. He really does use the word slave in this case. And the word for bondservant, it can be used as like be a servant to one another and it's a different idea. But this is really talking to people who are really in slavery. Okay, not like a choice. Like, oh, I, I choose to serve my family by waking up on Saturday mornings and making pancakes or, you know, doing, doing these things. It's more like, no, this is people that are enslaved to other people. All right, so as we just get right into it, again, I, I want to kind of address the elephant in the room of what are we talking about here? Sl- slavery. Even as we just read, um, Paul doesn't just outright con- condemn it and just say, no slavery, like fight against slavery. It's evil. It's unjust. It's a broken system and it shouldn't be there. So, so how do we understand it? How do we um, approach this idea? Um, okay, there are kind of two extremes that we tend to fall into. And one is thinking of it along the lines of it's exactly like what we think of when we hear the word sl- slavery, right? In the kind of, you know, 15th through, you know, 17th or even, yeah, uh, centuries there with, you know, the transatlantic slave trade. And we think in our mind and what comes to mind is it's the exact same thing. We just kind of take it from there and we apply it to what's going on here. It's exactly the same. There's no difference. And um, if we do that, we get it wrong. We're in danger of kind of uh, approaching it with some assumptions that is not quite the same as what was going on in this time. However, the other extreme is, which I think if we just read this bond servants, we go to like employer, employee, you know, tomato, tomato, same deal, right? Just, you know, bond servant, employee, right? Like gas station clerk and it's exactly the same thing. And um, that's not what's going on here. Um, Okay, I'm going to pause for a second just because I want to, because whoever, no shame that the sound of this generation is... Uh, hydro flasks hitting the ground, okay? And to be clear, we're not laughing at whoever just dropped that. We're standing in solidarity. I no longer, I no longer bring mine up here. Like, I'm parched right now. I need water, but I don't bring mine up here because I know it will tumble down the stairs. And so when it falls, I just want to recognize that's what's going on right now, okay? It's just that sound is the sound of this generation, amen? All right, so... 
That was God's grace in kind of lightening this a bit for a moment, right? Talking about slaves and masters. Um, so, okay, we need to understand there's a massive difference we could find ourselves in in, in if we are, there's, we need to understand where we are, okay, historically. What are we talking about right now? Is it exactly the same as what we think of here in the U.S. with, um, you know, again, the transatlantic slave trade, people being stolen from Africa and um, families divided and all these things? Is it exactly like that or is it, oh, it's just so different, it's not like that? Well, no, there are differences and similarities to what we think of, and, and we need to understand it before we um, really get into it and understand what Paul is doing. So on one hand, there are massive differences in, in the slavery that's going on in the first century AD um, to what we think of again in the, you know, kind of 14, 15, 16, 17th um, centuries, what's, what's happening there. Um, the the differences are this. It's, it's largely not in this time and almost never, and certainly in Scripture when it's talking about, it's not racial or national, okay? It's very much economic. It, it's, it's very much um, dealt with and connected to economies of power, who has wealth and, and how is that used. There are times when one nation will um, attack another nation and then they take people captive, but even there, not everyone just becomes slaves from that. Some people are, and it's usually people that are in now economic distress, but people that could be um, an asset to the um, ruling or victorious nation uh, don't become slaves. They actually just kind of like assimilate in and, different, and fulfill different roles. So it's, it's like that. Um, also, another massive difference is this. Um, you could put yourself into slavery. You could choose to enter into a contractual agreement where you would um, prevent yourself from becoming the lowest on the kind of on the economic structure, which would be a homeless be beggar in that time. And so in order to avoid that, and even to maybe keep your family together, keep some food on the table, and even get out of debt, okay? Maybe you're in tremendous debt, and um, you know, you just swipe that card too much or whatever, and you're, you're in this place, and now you're in danger of becoming homeless or, or, or some things, or even getting judged by the, by the courts because you didn't pay back the debt that you owed. You could, um, in, you could basically become someone's slave or servant and then they would pay off your debt, and then you would over time work off that debt. So again, there's a lot of differences. Another one is you could be enslaved, but your family or your children could remain free. And you could even give birth to children, and they, would, they could be born free and live free as you continued as, as a slave. Okay, so that's, that is what, that's the cultural norm of what's going on here. But there are also a lot of similarities, all right? It's still slavery. Once you become someone's slave, you're not free to just now choose what you want to do and kind of go about your life. Um, in fact, I just want to again acknowledge that um, historically the church, of which we're a part, okay, the church is whole, the Christian church, has gotten this terribly, terribly wrong. We talked about the transatlantic slave trade. Um, a lot of Christians, people who confessed with their mouths and supposedly believed in their hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. That in their day, many of us perhaps, even if we were there in that day, it would be arrogant of us not to think that we might have even participated in the perpetuation of enslaving other people. And even uh, for 
friend of mine, another redemption um, uh, uh, pastor at another redemption congregation who's Af- African-American, talked about um, in his early days in his faith, um, people would use this as a, as a justification for, uh, for the, the church's sins and perpetuation of slavery. And I, we um, want to have no part in that. Okay, there were similarities too that, 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 um, that, that this, that I'll just say too, that God's word, that scripture does not condone. That's not like, oh yeah, okay, you never in scripture, I, I would challenge you, you never see God condoning um, slavery. No, there are times even in the, in, the, in the Old Testament law where he talks about it in such a way that's meant to, to um, kind of re, redirect societal structures. And even here when he talks about how masters and slaves relate with one another, he's saying stuff that no one else in society would ever say in that day. And we'll get to that in a bit. But Okay, so um, some of the similarities were still some of the early time, again, first century authors referred to slaves as agricultural tools. And, and you could still, if you were enslaved, you could still be put to death at the, at the whim of whoever, of your master or your owner. Okay, so it's still incredibly broken. And again, now hear me on this. If we water it down too much, if we're like, oh, employer, employee, then we miss the power of what God's word is saying to us. Okay, because this, the big idea here is always, and this is especially clear in this morning. Okay, hear me on this, because I want you to see this, where we're headed and where we'll end up is that this, if you belong to Jesus, there is no situation or relationship you ever find yourself in that his gospel, his good news does not shape and inform. Again, if you belong to Jesus, wherever you fall in any relationship, there's no relationship, there's no situation that the gospel does not inform. Okay, so that's what we'll see here this morning. And it's important for us and for these people in that day because a tendency from the fall, that means in, a sh- in short, in summary, is not God. That's when we all individually and corporately have turned away from God, that God created us to know him and to relate with him perfectly, to have our, our identity and our purpose and our relationships with one another and with him. And every situation, every waking breath is meant to be to flow out of who he is and what he's done. Okay, but sin enters in and we're like, nah, thanks. I got it figured out, God. We'll go from there. And the consequences are many. Okay, as far as as we can see, sin has affected and infected everything. And one way it has is that we tend to live really compartmentalized lives. Okay, we tend to think, well, in this relationship or in this circumstance, um, the gospel doesn't apply. I can kind of put God on the shelf for a minute. I can put my relationship with him on the shelf for a moment and then kind of go from here. Okay, one way that showed up to me um, that I relate with is in sports, okay? Um, some of you guys might, might relate with this. Um, well, I loved intramural sports, Love them. I mean, I wish I could go back. I might even re-enlist or re-enroll, I guess it is, not enlist, at the, in school just so I could play IMs, right, intramural sports. And for me it was because you could kind of choose your, 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 your sports context in that way, right? Like I was seeing this, right, the U, U, U of A just won yeah, yeah, yesterday, 
Um, ASU didn't, sorry. Um, but, um, right, so U of A is now two, two and two, same record, so whatever, we're in the same. But anyway, what I realized is we, it's not about, it's about we need to um, play the right opponents, right? Like South Utah State, you know, community college, and, um, you know, Oregon State uh, junior high school. Like, we need to play the right opponents, and we got it down. Like, we can run for 60 yards and score all these touchdowns. Well, for me, that was intramural sports, right? Like, um, I played rugby. I use that term played loosely. I was, like, on the team. They gave me a bag. They actually misspelled my name. True story. So, I didn't matter that much to the team. Um, but intramural sports, like, I could, I could be under the lights. It was like I could hear the crowd, right, cheering. I could be in whatever world I wanted to be. Well, fast forward, um, I'm playing against the right opponent, right, like the physics department or something, or, you know, no offense. <laughs> but, um, right, you could be like, all right, cool. Now I can really shine here. Well, we were playing a fraternity, and it was a fraternity that I happen to have a lot of friends in and relationships and I was already a Christian and involved with the student ministry and, you know, trying to share my faith and be, you know, salt and light, right? Be a shining light and stuff. Well, um, in the game, this guy kept clipping me. Every, we, were, we were playing soccer and he kept kind of clipping me, just kind of subtly like, you know, hitting my foot every time I go by and I'm, and maybe some choice words kind of told him, please don't do that. And, um, Finally, like I, again, I'm seeing glory and I'm taking off. Like I've got, once I get past him, you know, sweet, you know, juke move, whatever. And he totally trips me, like fall on the ground. And so I tackled him and we roll around a little bit and, um, and we're playing as like most people in this student ministry I was involved with are on the same team. So my own teammates, like take me out, take me out of the game and like, you're not playing anymore and kind of, you know, chastise me and kind of time out for a moment mentorship. We need mentorship, right? I was, I needed a little direction in the way I should go, right, as how to relate with people. But honestly, that was a clear moment for me that for me, sports were free game. It was like, hey, dude, that guy's getting in my way of glory. Like, he needs to be dealt with. And that, and, um, and it was actually humbling. I ended up, I saw that guy a lot and ended up, you know, kind of a apologizing because um, some of my mentors really encouraged me to do so. And I wish I could say that was, that was almost 20 years ago. I was 19. I'm almost 39. That was 20 years ago. But um, yesterday, I was just telling um, Dr. Johansson this morning, my little daughter got put on, um, on concussion protocol. Pays actually uh, Tina Dare's husband, Reese, after working all night, came over this morning to like check her out. And, and she's not going to play today because and I was livid the ref wasn't calling the calls and this whole deal and I and I God's like screaming the Holy Spirit's yelling in my ear like you're about to preach on this like you can't put me on the shelf right now um and I wanted to though I want to be like oh no like you know my daughter just got like game on I want to go and tackle the ref and um I wouldn't have been here with you all this morning and I'm not all alone am I all alone um Maybe it's not sports for you. Maybe you look down your nose and are like, these people in their sports obsessions. But it could be whatever, right? It could be someone on the phone. It could be an interaction we have with a banker. We could be an employer, an employee. Whatever relationship or circumstance we find are in, our tendency, our propensity is to compartmentalize. 
And we either, okay, hear me now right now, because this is hugely important. We either wallow and flounder and, 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 and lay um, like impotent and, and powerless in relationships that God wants to say, you have power. Or on the flip side, we puff ourselves up and we, we build ourselves up by shoving other people down. And God says in that moment, no, 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 that's not the way up is actually the way down. You've got it all wrong. And that's the thrust of what Paul is saying when he, when he looks face on and says slavery, relationship between slaves and masters, even there, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus speaks into that. So we pick back up in verse five, in verses five through eight. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. Okay, Paul uses some strong language, and again, he's not watering down what it means to be a slave. He's speaking to slaves. He's giving power and value and worth to people that in hearing this, okay, like put ourselves in this moment. Okay, let's just, in this time, in first century AD in, in um, Ephesus, okay, modern day Turkey, in the, in the Greek world, Paul is talking to people, and this would be read out loud. Okay, Paul writes a letter to the church, and someone would read this out loud, and there would be in the same room, a master over here and a slave over here. And so there might be a slave whose tendency is to like kind of sandbag, right? Like, you know what that is? Like, again, people who played sports know what this is. It's like, you're, you know, you're just kind of dogging it or your teammates are dogging it. And then when the coach looks, they're like, just like going after it right there. They're trying hard and everyone else is just frustrated. Like, man, come on, really? This guy's been dogging it the whole time. And now, yeah, he's out in front because he, you know, and, and Paul is writing to that and he's saying, hey, always, whether you're being watched or not, Honor your master. Honor the person who's, who's put over you, whether they're justly there or unjustly there, because your service is to the Lord. All right, I um, heard uh, or I saw an um, article this week that the person who, the artist slash sculptor who, who made the, um, the Statue of Liberty, who was that? Anyone know the name of that person? Okay, no, okay, good. I'm not all alone here. And they, I guarantee you someone does, but they're too shy. Um, last chance, anyone? Remember that name? What? Eiffel. That's not true. It is not Eiffel. <laughs> anyway, um, I forget the name. But um, in the article written by the Washington Post, they refer to this artist slash sculptor. And yes, it was made in France. Well, What's crazy, and they point out in this, is they talk about the integrity of work and how nowadays, if you were to fly in a helicopter or in a, in a plane over, um, over the Statue of Liberty, you would see like mind-boggling detail on the, the hair of Lady Liberty on the very top of the head, okay, you know, in the, in the crown, 
And this was many, many years before flight, like human flight, was even conceived of. Okay, long before the Wright brothers, the Statue of Liberty was built, was made, was crafted together. Okay, so when we think of eye service, right, you would think that when this artist is building the Statue of Liberty, they'd be like, this is exhausting, this is so hard, this is tiring, Man, I'm, you know, I'm in France right now. It's, you know, um, late 1800s. No, you know, hygiene's bad, whatever. You'd be like, I'm going to cut some corners here. I'm, I'm gonna, not going to work on the head of hair right now. But that's not what happened. Like, imagine working with such integrity and such diligence, thinking no one's ever going to see this. That's what comes to mind here when Paul says in, uh, where is it, verse 7, No, verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, that in your work, wherever you are, you serve as unto the Lord. Even, again, don't miss the powerful punch that's coming on here. Even in the most oppressive place as a slave. Now, there's something else here that's going on that when he's speaking to slaves is there's power and integrity and diligence. Again, no one in this time would be talking in such a way as saying, is, is, is saying you have power. In your place, you are serving Christ. Okay, to help us understand this a bit more, um, read with me where the same author, Paul, kind of brings it into even clearer, um, into clearer picture in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 where he says this about how we are to go about um, our lives, even in the most broken and difficult places. It says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Again, Paul, if he's watering down the, the oppressive state of being enslaved to another human being, then, then, then we could easily dismiss it. But when we look at it in the eyes, and again, Paul elsewhere, and you see he is not condoning slavery here. In fact, in um, Philemon, a short letter that Paul wrote to a slave owner about a runaway slave, Onesimus, and he, he writes about this relationship, and he uses some of the same language. Okay, he doesn't condone slavery. 
But even in that, even if systems aren't changed, even if the government doesn't get their act together and start recognizing all people as image bearers of God and the injustice that is poured out on some demographics and not on others, even if that continues, the good news, the power of the gospel of Jesus raised from the dead, the victory of his current, present rule and reign over all things and his promised return to undo all the injustice and restore what is wrong and to make it what is right, that informs every relationship and every situation. And that's good news. Amen. Uh, One of the songs we sang, the second one, so if you're on the worship team, I might need your help here. I actually wrote it down because I've learned from my mistakes how I quickly, I forget words that we just sang like five minutes ago. I could remember from a sports game, Super Bowl, like when I was five, but I can't remember a song two minutes before. It's something about your, your victory has broken or something has broken the curse of sin's tyranny. What's the, what comes before that? Your what has broken that? What? Your kindly rule has broken the curse of sin's tyranny. See, takes a village to preach a sermon. Your kindly rule has broken the curse of sin's tyranny. Okay, the, the sin's tyranny, is that right or did I just mess it up? There you go, thank you. Your kindly rule has broken, has shattered, shattered is the word. Even more powerful, right? Shattered. Look at your neighbor and say shattered. Okay, we're going to say in this moment. Jesus' rule, his present kindly rule, authority, reign over all things. Right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things. And yet the worst of, or the, the use of the word tyranny is there. Is there not tyranny in our world today? Is there not injustice in our world today? Yes. It, does God just turn a blind eye and say, hey, it's all about the gospel in terms of just, just a justification, okay, be restored to God by putting your faith in him and God doesn't care about justice, all that? Absolutely not. In a moment, we'll see. He calls out um, people who are in positions of authority and who, who rule over others. He calls that out, okay? But the gospel is strong enough. No, keep it up there. Sorry, thanks. Um, if you can, bring that back up. Even under tyrannical rule there is power for the for the person um for the oppressed even in that moment jesus's rule his gospel his power shatters the power of the seemingly most powerful that we find ourselves under or oppressed by now again as i said in a, um before in other contexts if you're in a situation which the reality is most likely not too many of us are But if you're in a place where you're under unjust rule, you're you're employed to an employer who cuts all kinds of corners, who you feel in bondage to in some way, you're not alone. God's word does not permit that. We want to come alongside you and help you. And at the same time, the, the message of Jesus is that you still, even if you remain in that place, you still have power. You you are free to serve as unto the Lord. You are now set free to live for an audience of one, to live quorum Deo before the face of God. That's your real ruler. Amen? And then he turns it in one verse, verse 9, 
he turns it on to masters, okay? Other people who would be in the same room here in this. This is what he says. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Again, I just want to point out, in this day, in first century AD, this is crazy talk, all right? People would be hearing this and be like, Paul, you're crazy. First, you talk about husbands loving their wives like Jesus loved the church and lay their life down for their wives. No, no one does that. If you're a husband, you've got it made. You were dealt the, you know, you've got, a, you've got pocket aces. You can do whatever you want. And, G, and God's word says, no, no, no. If you have more authority, you have more to give up, more to lay down, more to, more to serve with. And then, in the, and then again, with parents and children, as we heard last week, and then now in this case, masters, no one else would refer to. Again, even Aristotle, right, who some people think, oh, it's all these great things. Man, he wrote some crazy, oppressive stuff about if you have authority, then it would be unjust to give that up. Okay, and, and so, no, here though, God's word says, stop your threatening. Who do you think you are? You have the same master as they do. Elsewhere, again, in Philemon, the language is used, that's your brother in Christ, right? And you've got to believe that someone over there, and okay, right, you got like slaves in this over here and in the same, you know, tent, the same, the same congregation. They're like, hey, hey, you hearing that right now? Like, all right, stop your threatening, and you want to quote this and stuff like that kind of relate. That's what was going on. But again, here, there's a call out. Who do you think you are? You have the same master. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't think we need to hammer it home anymore. What does that look like, though, in our day? A number of different relationships came to mind as I consider this. Because, again, we don't overtly, outright have masters and slaves in the U.S. here in this kind of way. That does go on. There is still unjust um, uh, oppression of people. Absolutely. But to help us understand and not say, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me. Where do you find yourself? What kind of relationships do we have here? One that came to mind they, um, is we have a lot of Air Force people in here, different, different people from the Air Force serving here, are in community together, different relationships. And what, is, what would it look like for, for officer and enlisted person to have a relationship with one another that recognized, man, before the foot of the cross, this is my brother or sister in Christ. Before Jesus, this person, I have much to learn from this person. Yes, in our work, I, that person salutes me, and we're going to keep that going. Again, I'm way out of my league here. I, don't, I was not in the military. I, you know, I don't know all this work, but I know there's good things, right? There's rank. There's different structures here, and that's important. And this isn't get to like blow that up, but it's saying in that moment, what does it look like to receive a salute from an enlisted person who's also your brother in Christ, right? To not just kind of turn your nose up and be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, get out of here. You're a peon. I have nothing to learn from you. And what does it look like on the flip side as someone in a, in a, in a, in a powerless position? Okay, we've got the powerful and the powerless right? Whatever situation, right? You've got, I know in this room, you've got coaches and, and athletes. 
Again, you've got officers and enlisted people. You've got parents and, and children. You've got educators, teachers, and, you know, students. And, and we can just adopt these broken relationships that's like, well, that person has all the authority and they, they just, it's okay. They kind of do what they're going to do because that's just the way it is. And then the people on the other side are like, well, we cut corners and we talk trash about them. And, you know, when they're not looking because that's the way we kind of get back at them, right? We got to kind of stick it to the man in these ways. So as we kind of land the plane here, as we prepare to close, let's actually consider for a moment, what does it look like for the powerful, for the powerless, all right, for the, for the powerless, wherever we find ourselves, whatever relationships we're in, what does it look like to serve as though you're serving the Lord? What does it look like for you to work when no one's looking as though you are working before the very face of God? Again, that word, coram Deo, right? Like, I got a friend who's got it tattooed, and I'm, I like it a lot. It's a cool tattoo, right? Coram Deo, before the face of God, all of life, all for Jesus. Everything I do is before God. What does it also look like to have integrity, to have power, to not just be, to be pushed down by the weight that is thrust upon you, but to be set free by the good news of Jesus, free to serve, to keep getting up. You get knocked down, you keep up. It's, it's crazy. What, what does it look like for everyone else who you work with? Says, yeah, we take an extra 15 minutes in our, in our, on, our, on our lunch break because, you know, that, that, that dude's a jerk. He doesn't even know how to swing a hammer anyway. So, like, we, like, we're keeping his business going. It's the least, we, you know, he owes us this much, right? We can just keep, keep on doing this. But what does it look like for you to, you know, not be a pompous jerk, like, oh, no, not me. I'm, you know, Charlie Church, Ned Flanders. I don't, but to actually, like, relate with your coworkers and say, hey, what, what if, like, what if we actually do what we're supposed to do? How might that, like, let's kind of take the game back and let's, like, do our thing the right way and see how that changes this whole dynamic. For the powerful, what relationship do you find yourself in? where you, you, you kind of put the gospel on the shelf, where you think that's just the way it is. These workers I hired, you can't trust them, right? You got to treat them that way because otherwise they won't, they won't work well. They won't get it done. They, they cut corners, so I got to kind of, I got I to gotta bring the hammer a little bit because that's just the way it is, you know? They're, they cut corners and I, and I got to rule harshly. What would it look like for you to use your authority and your position of power and influence to come alongside the, your subordinates, students, athletes, children, whatever power structures and dynamics you and I find ourselves in, referees, uh-oh, you know, too close to home here. Like, what does it look like to relate with one another as fellow image bearers of God? as brothers and sisters in Christ, if it's within the body of Christ, and as hopefully potential believers in Jesus. Again, sin leads us to compartmentalize. It would be, okay, hear me right now. It, I recognize it is so much easier to compartmentalize, to put things in little boxes, 
to say, well, I'm at work right now. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a general contractor. I'm a superintendent. I'm the manager. I'm the coach. I'm the teacher. It's a lot easier right now to just kind of play by the rules of the world that I'm in and then to kind of put on my church face when I'm in certain contexts, but to kind of put that on hold. It's a lot, it would be a lot easier. But we have to look no further than the cross and to see God doesn't take the path of least resistance. Okay, there is power in dying to self. Thank you, Jesus. So as we go from here, let's consider what does it look like to live in light of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. If you belong to Jesus, there's no relationship, there's no situation that is not shaped by the gospel. The gospel, the good news that Jesus' life, death, victorious resurrection, ascension to the right hand of God the Father, current, present, rule and reign over all things, his kindly rule and his promised return. That's the gospel. Again, look at me here. There's no relationship, there's no situation that is not shaped by the gospel if you belong to Jesus. Let's pray together. Again, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your good news. Thank you, Jesus, for not just wagging a finger at us and telling us to get it all figured out, but Lord, for dying for not taking the easiest route, but Lord, for laying down your rights, for laying down your life so that we can live. And Lord, so that we now can participate in your death and your resurrection by relating with one another, whether we're in roles of authority or roles of submission. Lord, that we have power to live all of life, all for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.